Welcome to the 20-something Trials Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Denicio, and this is the show dedicated to navigating your 20s. Each week, you'll hear from a guest who has walked through an array of trials, triumphs, and more. My goal is to bring you tangible tips to help you grow into the woman you are destined to become. I started this podcast to connect with others, have real conversation about womanhood and career and life, and learn from the incredible groundbreaking people who I admire, and I know you will too. There is so much truth to be learned from our trials and in those of others. So together, let's explore all of the things that make us who we are and grow into the women we are meant to be together. What's up, you guys? Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I am so excited for part two of Ruzana's episode. So last week, if you haven't listened to that already, I highly encourage you to do that because it lays the foundation for all the things that we talk about today. So last week, we learned about Ruzana and her background and how she got into negotiation and really understanding the gender pay gap, whereas now we are talking about her four-step process into how the heck to negotiate for the salary that you don't just want, but that you also deserve. She throws out some crazy statistics that I'm sure your jaw will drop as mine did as well. Um, But it's a really important conversation, you guys, and that is always my goal for you. So I want to go ahead and wrap this intro up very quick into the point this week, and I want to go ahead and introduce you once more to Rosanna Glazer. I am joined again by Rosanna Glazer, and I am so excited to have her back with us. Um, again, she is the co-founder of Bright Meet. Oh, Bright Meets Brave, which is dedicated to bold and fearless women of today and tomorrow. So I, again, am so excited to have you back with us today. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. So last episode, we talked about a lot. We talked about who you are, this company that you have co-founded with your sister, um, and we dove into some of the anxieties that women have surrounding money. So guys, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would really encourage you to because that lays the foundations for um, the deep dive that we're going to do today. So we are really going to focus in um, her negotiation process, um, what it means to get comfortable asking for more, and how you can find and identify your worth. So really, really important things. Um, if you're driving, obviously keep driving, but if you are at home, I think this might be an episode where you pull out your phone and take notes or you pull out a notepad or whatever, and make sure that you, you get this information down because we haven't dove into it yet, but from what I experienced with her last week, I have a feeling it's going to be some really, really great stuff. So, oh, absolutely. Let's go ahead and talk about finding your worth. Is that a a comfortable jumping off point for you? I think that's the first step. So perfect. Let's do it. So what does that mean? Talk us through all of the complexities of what it means to find your worth in negotiation. Yeah. So first of all, when we talk about, you know, what is your worth? I want to mention that women quite often either feel guilty for naming the number or they're just feeling really uncomfortable for kind of diving in and assigning the dollar sign to it. Right. So I, 
when we talk about your worth, we're talking about the value that you bring because of your skill set and your experience and your potential. So I know we talked a little bit about this in the previous uh, podcast, but just to give you an idea on the differences uh, of how men tend to think about worth versus women, 85% of men know exactly how much they're worth. And 83% of women look towards external factors or external people or companies to tell them what their worth is. And I think it's critical to understand that if you don't know what you're worth, other people aren't going to have your best interest in mind. So it's really critical to understand what it is. Now, when you talk about worth, I, I think a lot of people just kind of get lost into, well, what do I take into account and how does that, how do you come up with a number? And I would really encourage people to get away from the like one number and focus on a range. Range, because then you have a little bit of flexibility, first of all. And second of all, very rarely are you going to really just zero in on a number. So when you talk about, when we talk about worth, we talk about market analysis, we talk about your value that is specific to you, and then we talk about potential. Those are kind of the three pillars that comprise, um, that you should take into account when you're looking for that, to zero in on that range. And then, um, so kind of breaking it down further, the market analysis, um, it's actually pretty probably the, the easiest part to nail down because there are a lot of tools available right now and some are paid, but there are plenty of free resources like Glassdoor or Payscale. There's another really good website. It's called Paysa. And all of those have know your worth tool where it's not just looking at the, like what does somebody make with a certain title they actually, if you do like the know your worth tool, it'll ask you questions on what is your education, how many years of experience you have, um, you know, are you supervising a team in your role, things like that. And then they'll spit out um, a range or a number that gives you an idea of the market worth. Because that also takes into account geography, which is obviously really important. Because if I'm looking for as a marketing manager, for a position in San Francisco, the pay is going to be very different from a position in North Dakota. Right. So, um, and then the second thing is kind of like your value. And we work with clients talking about hard numbers, soft skills. So that's where you kind of turn into your resume and you look at the impact that is specific to you. What value do you bring as a candidate? How many projects have you delivered? What was your impact on revenue or profit? How many innovations have you inspired? So things like that, that are measurable, that are specific to you, that make you stand out and differentiate in the crowd. And then the soft skills, this is where I think it's, it's important not to overlook because women have a lot to offer in soft skills as well. Um, HBR actually, Harvard Business Review published um, a finding a while ago on the fact that women actually score higher in most of the leadership traits than men. And, you know, we have resilience, we have uh, collaboration, ability to foster innovation, um, 
coming up with new ideas. And so um, your ability to kind of de-escalate the conflict, think about the soft skills that you have because they have value. They bring value to the team um, and they're really important to identify. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's important to understand. And that's, that also will help you in the interview process because that's going to be your sales pitch basically. And then the last thing that we look at is potential. So quite often we don't think of our potential as a selling point, right? It's like, well, this is who we are. But when an employer is hiring, more often than not, they're looking for somebody who has room to improve, ability to learn uh, from their mistakes, willingness to try, right? So when we think about potential, we try to, um, you know, kind of move women into thinking about their mindset, growth mindset, where you can be, what kind of impact can you get? What is the business? What are the gaps in the business that you can help, you know, fill? Talking about resilience, your ability to try things and, and learn from mistakes, and then uh, curiosity, right? That allows us to learn new things and strive to do better. Those are the three things, um, you know, the market worth, uh, market analysis, your, your personal value that is unique to you and then the potential that you bring to the table. So now when we say soft skills, are those skills, like you mentioned, of resilience, collaboration, innovation? Yeah, and there's actually, there's, um, you know, there's a whole, whole host of uh, skills, but think about things that are, you know, just not necessarily, that enable you to be effective. Okay, okay. And so when we're talking about this market analysis, right, this is, looking at what other people within your location within the same job is is what they're making that that's the analysis that you need to be doing so the mar- right so the market analysis will kind of give you an idea of what somebody in a with a similar responsibilities would be making so i would one caveat with the market analysis a lot of people will go on glassdoor for example and they'll say well i'm 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 evaluating a marketing manager position. So they'll just put in marketing manager for the area. And that can be a little bit misleading, which is why I say go to the know your worth tools because titles within companies vary, Mm -hmm. right? Some companies have directors who have no direct reports and don't necessarily drive a lot of impact. Um, And then some companies will have direct director title with the 15 direct reports and significantly more indirect reports underneath. So it's really important to understand the roles and responsibilities rather than just going by the title. Okay. Okay. That, that's a great point. I know you mentioned that earlier and I think you even said you don't go by the title. So that was totally on me. Um, but how no. interesting, right? That you're, you know, you're, I, I think you're absolutely right. That one title might be something totally different in another company. Um, and so this is a really, really great starting point. And now is this something that anybody can do, even if they're not necessarily, you know, looking to negotiate or, you know, they just want to get an idea of what other people are making yeah, I think so. We're knowing your worth. I look at it as a financial health assessment, if you will. So, what I actually tell people is once a year, go to those three sites, fill out the questionnaire, and see. Um, and then, we actually, what we do is I say, 
take, um, take the average of those three, if you're doing it on your own, and then add, that's going to be your low number of the range, and then add 15 to 20%. That's going to be your, your kind of range. Okay. I mean, it's rules of thumb, rule of thumb. So I think you should do it every year. Okay. And there is people like, oh, every year. It doesn't take long to do, mm-hmm. A. And B, like I look, look at our compensation as our financial health. And I, like judging by myself, I know I go to a dentist twice a year and I know I go to a physician once a year. Why are we not checking our financial health at least once a year to see if uh, it needs to be adjusted? That's a great point. That's an, that's an excellent point. Um, and so I think, you know, we need to equate it with our health. We do all these things to take care of ourselves physically and internally. Your financial health plays a big role in your life. So it, it is the role Absolutely. in your lifestyle. So we really do need to be seeing it that way. Yeah. Awesome points. Thank you. So let's go ahead and transition into getting comfortable with then asking for more. So we've yes. done this market analysis or we've, we've identified what our worth is. Okay, so now we move on right to getting comfortable with asking for more. Yep. What does this step look like? Right. So this is all, you know, part of the preparation step. So the this step as we call entitlement, it actually it came from a research that was done by Lisa Barron. Um, and then the entitlement basically says um, what is it that we're comfortable asking? Like what is it that we deserve? And the interesting statistics there is that 70% of men think that they deserve more than average. And 71% of women say that they just want to be paid what's fair. And if you look at what is fair, right, most of the time, fair means average, right? Fair doesn't mean more. It, you know, um, so I think right there, it's really critical to understand how do you, like, you, we need to move our mindset and our mentality into we have a lot of value to bring to the table and it's okay to ask for more. But how do you get from that, oh, I'm not sure, from that uncomfortable stage to being convinced that you deserve more, right? And there are two exercises that are really critical and have amazing effect uh, with women to shift that mentality. The first one is comparison information. And that one requires a little bit of legwork on behalf of women. So what that means is you identify people in your network whom you know, who have similar positions, whether they were they held position in the past that you that you have now, or maybe they are your coworkers, maybe there are people in your network in a different company but have similar responsibilities to yours. So I make a list of people and connect with them. And, you know, I used to say, you know, grab a coffee or a lunch in a virtual world set up, I don't know, maybe a virtual happy hour or just connect for half an hour and say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I'm taking a look at my compensation package and I, I, I really would could use your input. And the comparison info really zeroes in on finding out how much, per, like, that person in similar position that is not you is making. Now, I, I don't like the, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to know how much they make, right? And that still sometimes is an uncomfortable conversation. So the way I would um, position the question is, hey, I'm looking at my compensation and I'm trying to figure out 
you know, where I should be. I know you're in a similar position as me. How much do you think, you know, somebody with our responsibilities is worth? Can you give me a range? Again, when you start talking about ranges, people are a little bit more comfortable saying, you know what, I think some, you know, here's what I know, and they'll give you a range. Now, the caveat when you do comparison information is you need to make sure, so if you have a list of six people, and I say at least have five people that you can connect with, if you have a list of five or six people, make sure 50% of that is men. Because the reason I say that is women tend to be really comfortable with women, but statistics have shown that women are already underpaid. So if you're asking everybody for comparison information who are in a similar position as you, you might not really have a true, um, you know, the numbers might not be trued up. So make sure you're asking at least 50% of your respondents who are men. Um, and I guarantee you, you will see a discrepancy there. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is performance feedback. Now, I know we all have reviews, annual reviews, which everybody dreads. So when I talk about performance feedback, I encourage women to ask their colleagues, so somebody who is in similar position, so they know the value that you bring to the table and the work that you do and the impact that it contributes to the company. Talk to cross-functional leaders. So people, because in, I don't know, I don't, I don't remember the last time I've spoken to a person who hasn't been on a cross-functional project or who doesn't have a cross-functional impact. Cross-functional leaders, if you seek out their feedback, they, they, they can truly see your value and they can open your eyes to the impact that you might be blinded or, you know, you don't see. Um, so reach out to leaders and just say, you know, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend saying that you're trying to figure out what your worth is. Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, I would love to hear feedback on my, on my work and what do you see as a strength? What is working well? And most of us get that feedback anyway. Um, so that is really important. And then obviously supervisors, um, you know, most of the time what I say is go through your emails or go through some of the conversations you've had where supervisors would say, this was, you did a great job here, or I really appreciated your support and ability to carry out this and that. So when you put together the comparison info specifically, um, what the interesting pivot there is you see in women when, you, when they see how much men make in similar roles, that's where you see the shift, this realization of, well, if he makes that, I should be making at least that. So you can, it's, it's, I think that is the most magical moment that I love witnessing for me is their shift of, well, oh my gosh, I didn't realize if he's making that, I can certainly strive for that. And then the performance feedback reinforces that confidence and then just kind of boosts it that, yes, I do have value in the organization. It is seen and here's how. So that's how you get comfortable with asking for more. Yeah. And you know, I, I like that you even preface, but even saying we have to get comfortable, it acknowledges the fact that you are going to be uncomfortable. It acknowledges the emotions that you have regarding it right now. And it, it in a way it affirms it by saying like, it's okay. 
here's the process. We're going to get through it and you're going to grow so much from being uncomfortable with this. So a question that I have for you, when we are talking about getting with these five to six people, um, and remember guys, 50% of them need to be men. Do you, are these strangers? Like, are these people I met on LinkedIn or I connected with online? Or are these people that work directly with me? So I would, so not necessarily maybe with you, right? Yeah. Because if you're looking for somebody who's an hope, I guess my assumption is that you have a network of people, of professionals that okay. do similar roles that you, gotcha. uh, that you do. And part of it is, I know my network is fairly rich uh, of professionals. So it's a little bit harder talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, approach people who, who are within your network. You might not be friends, right? But you might be acquaintances from conferences that you stayed in touch or things like that. So you want to pick people who are in the same profession as you, obviously, because you're trying to true up. Um, But I think it's a little bit harder if it's just a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, yeah, I wanted to clarify to make sure that we we get uh, specific just because, you know, you're right. Like that could be a super awkward, awkward conversation to have. Um, Okay. So we've identified our value, right? We've gotten comfortable with asking for more. Um, And now I want to dive into what negotiation looks like um, and how you prepare women for this now next step. Yep. So one of the things I want to cover quickly is the timing of a negotiation, and then uh, we'll dive into what negotiation looks like, and we can cover some of the fear of backlash in there as well. So one of the things that I would say is the timing of negotiation is important, and that's um, specifically or uh, primarily applies to people who are getting offers, right? So when you get an offer, make sure you negotiate at that time unless the company specifies that they don't that's that their practices that, that, that they don't negotiate offers i know some of the companies um do that so i know for example deloitte consulting a while ago um they don't tend to negotiate offers for uh straight out of college people okay but they do negotiate for professionals uh like for manager and you know in seasoned professionals so some jobs will stipulate that they don't negotiate, in which case respect and honor uh, their policy. But if it doesn't, know that the biggest, the most leverage you will have is at the time of the offer. So a lot of, a lot of women think, I'm going to, and actually that's another statistics that's really interesting, 64% of men negotiate at the time of the offer because they want to get what they're worth at the time they're being hired. And 83% of women delay it with the thought process of I'm going to get, I'm going to take this job. I like the company. I'm going to prove what I'm worth. And then I'm going to ask later. What I encourage women to do is think about the obstacles and the roadblocks that you are going to have later. Things like you're going to make mistakes because it's going to be a new job. Everybody has a learning curve. Um, The hiring manager from, you know, speaking from, a hiring manager position, I have the most wiggle room at the time of the offer because after that, I'm in the budget uh, constraint mode, right? It's going to be really hard for me to justify a 15% raise later than it is at the beginning. And then think about just things that you can't foresee. 
if you took a job in January thinking, let me, of 2020, thinking in six months, I will prove in the next year I'm going to ask for a raise. Hello, COVID. Nobody's asking for a raise. Well, right. few people are. So you don't know the situations of the company, what the economy is going to be, and you're just prolonged. You're taking that hit to your financial health. So ask at the time of the offer because it's the most leverage you're going to have because the hiring manager wants you. And what you don't see in the hiring manager's mind is um, there's a struggle going on between HR and finance and hiring manager where the hiring manager wants you at any cost because they found the one candidate. HR wants to control the budget, so does the finance. Um, so keep that in mind. And then the other thing, and it will land us really nicely into the actual negotiation, is the fear of backlash. I have no statistics for the fear of backlash because guys don't have that fear. Because when guys go ask for a raise or for more money, it's very congruent with their um, social norms, with their gender norms, right? Guys are expected to look out for themselves and be competitive and aggressive, be the breadwinner. Women are supposed, not supposed to, but for in society, women for a long time have been viewed in supportive roles and looking out for others. So quite often when you go in and ask on your own behalf, it just, it goes against gender norms and that's where bias comes up. So one of the, the social uh, or the backlash comes in two pieces. There's a social backlash where women are thought of as, you know, difficult to work with. And then there is an economical backlash where the other party retaliates against women who have asked. Now, the interesting thing about backlash that is really important for women to know is that backlash happens when the respondent has a bias. So from that standpoint, while we can give women certain um, tools to negate some of the bias, it is not on women if that happens, because it has to be, you know, if the other person has bias and they're not aware of it, it's on the other person, um, you know, to act to make sure they offset that bias. So, um, but there are certain things that can help women to kind of offset implicit bias, slight implicit bias. And that really lands itself really nicely into the process of negotiations because one of the things is the flexibility. So if you have that range, it's, it signals flexibility, which is very congruent with female gender norms. And it also gives you room, room to move. So it gives you flexibility to, to move as well. But the other thing besides just having the range, think about compensation as a package. Don't think of it just the salary. So sit down and take the time and think about all the different aspects of the compensation. And, if, and think of like, if, if your boss says, I can't move on salary, what are some of the other options you can come up with? What other things are important to you? Is it a signing bonus if you're evaluating a new offer? Is it an educational allowance? Can they pay for your MBA or, or master's degree? Is it um, you know, an allowance for your kids to go to school? There are some companies who pay for the, a certain amount for the kids. 
Is it an, a car allowance? Is it an incentive plan? So there's so many different things that can be at play. So figure out what's important to you. Maybe you want to work four days a week instead of five and stay on full, uh, you know, full salary. So um, identify what's important to you. But the other really good, the other really powerful piece is you have to, so a lot of people think negotiation is kind of like one and done conversation and it never is. So Start setting your expectation, and before you go in into a meeting and start talking about uh, a raise, and this really more applies if you're looking for a raise or a promotion, have a pre-meeting or catch your boss and say, hey, I really want to have a conversation about compensation or a promotion, and I don't want this to be a surprise for you, so I'd like, you know, can we schedule it? I, I really wanted to discuss it. In the next week, when would be a good time for us to connect on it? Um, with that, a lot of times people act on their biases when they're in that, you know, flight or fight or freeze response, right? So if, if you come into the meeting and you're one-on-one -on -one with your boss and then say, I want to talk about compensation, and if the boss has the bias, which we all have biases, and they're not ready to discuss it, they're going to go to their default which is their bias. So prep them, give them time to think so they engage their slow brain and rational brain so they're not in that fight or flight um, situation. Send an agenda. When you, when you connect with your superior and you know that, hey, in three days we can connect about it, start the conversation with, hey, I wanna talk about these things don't write a novel, very short, brief agenda, what you want to talk about. You want to talk about, you know, your, your compensation package. You want to talk about your accomplishments and go from there. And then also when you go into a meeting, I really, if it, if it is uncomfortable and it if for you, because you haven't done that often, um, or you just are afraid to have a conversation. And if you're nervous, be a little bit vulnerable and say, you know, I want to have this conversation because it's really important, um, but I do, I do feel nervous about having it. It disarms the other person. It kind of appeals to our humanity, right? And there's nothing wrong with just giving a little bit of that uh, humility or you know, that being a little bit vulnerable um, about it. And then also know that you are not going to have an answer in that meeting. So be prepared to have follow-up conversations. Now, as far as, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's, that's all great, but the way the negotiation goes, um, there are two things that are really critical in negotiation. It's a dialogue. It has to be a dialogue where you exchange or you trade values which means you have to convey to your um, superior what is important to you, but you also need to figure out what's important to them, right? Because if you're just going to try to get more money without fulfilling what is important to them or seeing them how they benefit, that's just persuasion. So negotiation is basically when you figure out what it is that is important to them 
And then you say, if you do this, if we bring me up in the compensation to this, which is what, you know, what I deserve or what I've earned, then I give you this. Then I, you know, how do you, because we're all selfish, right? Your boss wants to look good. Your boss wants what's the best for the business and lift themselves up. So figure out what's important to them. And you can only do that if you ask really good questions and if you listen to the response. So those are probably the two critical things that we work with on um, you know, what happens when you're actually having the conversation. Um, some, some big takeaways I got from that and things that I, I truly had no idea about, which is why I think these conversations are so important, um, is that when you're negotiating, it's not just your salary. It doesn't just have to be your salary, especially if there you know, isn't wiggle room. Um, in the company at that moment. So there are other things within that package. Um, some of the things that you mentioned were, you know, the education side of it. If you want to go back to get your MBA, see if the company will compensate you for that. Um, some of the other things I've got, oh, my notes right here. Um, so, um, some flexibility that you can negotiate. Maybe there's something um, that can bring your kids involved to it. Maybe it's, you know, working from home on a Friday. So there are all these things that are negoti negotiable, negotiable, right? Negotiable. Yeah. Negotiable. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I think that's very powerful to realize that if you're afraid of negotiating your salary, there are some other things that, you know, are, are up for, for conversation too, which is important to know. Yeah. We uh, actually, on our LinkedIn, Bright Means Brave, uh, a while ago, we posted like this uh, visual um, of like different levers of the compensation. And when we work with women, we actually have them go through a worksheet of cash levers and then non-cash levers um, that still bring value um, to to your total compensation. So yeah. that's important. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is all, I you see my notes right now. Like there's, there's so <laughs> I much love it. good information from this. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've gotten to this, this step. The other thing that I thought was very important to reiterate too is um, set that meeting beforehand. You know, I think that's a great point. Don't just bombard your boss, not bombard, <laughs> but don't just like walk in and be like, don't surprise, hey, don't money. surprise. Don't surprise them. Don't surprise him or her. Um, and the other thing that you said is don't walk away. You're not going to get an answer that day. More likely than not, right? You will not get yeah. the, the confirmation um, that day. So the thing that I'm hearing is this is a process. This is not a one hour, one day thing. This is yes. something that is, is prolonged a little bit, but for a good reason if you do it right. The other thing too, I know some people that we've worked with and who we've interviewed, they said, well... Yeah, but then it can take a long time. Set expectation. I think it's super important to set expectation on what or align your expectations with your boss that, you know, I want to have an answer or I want to have a plan mm -hmm. in place within the next couple of weeks or three weeks, right? Or a month, whatever you are comfortable with. Don't make it too long because that shows that you're, um, you're not as serious maybe about your intent. But say that I want to, I think three weeks is very reasonable to figure out, for them to figure out what HR input is or what their budgetary restraints are. Um, so set expectations on the timing um, of that. And then, um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 
all these thoughts in my head. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, it's really, really incredible things. That I, I, like I said, it's so important that we talk through. So what, what comes next? What's the next step in this? You know, one of the things too, um, you know, I kind of touched on the, a lot of people ask me like in negotiations, what are some of the things that we don't think about? Right. And um, that's still kind of in the, in the stage of the delivery of negotiations or the process of the negotiations is first of all, be prepared for surprises. And a lot, we all make assumptions and a hundred percent of the time when people are surprised during negotiations is when their assumptions have been wrong. So it's really important to know that a, you might be surprised and when you are surprised in negotiations, don't go in the, the fight and flight mode. Most people start being really defensive when they're surprised about something. Um, pause. It's totally okay in negotiation to, to be silent for a few seconds to kind of process it. And instead of, if you find yourself that you're going to be going into the defense mode, say, you know what? You bring up a really good point that I didn't think about. Can I take some time and think about it and get back to you? Maybe some people, it doesn't come as the first response, but there have been plenty of people we've worked with who start going to, to the defense mode and then they just said, I wish I was just quiet, mm -hmm. right? Or I wish I knew about that. So, and quite often it's the assumptions that we think our bosses are noticing something or we think we have a certain impact and it's viewed differently or it's not as noticeable mm -hmm. from their standpoint. So be prepared for surprises because we all make assumptions going in. And if you want to, you can work on what are some of the assumptions. Your assumptions is your boss ha pays attention to everything that you do. And in reality, if everything is going well, it's very rare that bosses are paying attention. And then the other thing we talk about is active listening. So... <laughs> A lot of people, because we're so nervous going into negotiations and we want to know what is important to the other party, we start making lists of questions, right? It's totally okay to ask, you know, here's what's important to you. What is critical to you in order, in order to get me to where I need to be? What do you need? What's important? Don't beat around the bushes. Just ask in a respectful, professional way. But then if you go in with preset set of questions, I actually discourage people from doing it because that means you're not listening to what the person is saying. Because all the questions you're going to ask are going to be from your predetermined knowledge. So you might have one or two questions that you might want to kind of zero in on what's important, but then listen what the other person is saying. So then you can ask follow-up questions and I would say stay away from questions that have a yes or no reply. Like, can we get me to that compensation level or can we, can we bump my salary? It's very easy for me to say no. Nope, can't do it. If you ask me, what do, we need to, what do I need to do or how can we get there? No is not an answer because it's just not. Right. <laughs> so you're, and, and the, answer you're going to get back is going to be much more insightful than yes or no. So true, you know, active listening is really kind of a, it's a really, it's, it's a skill set that's getting really lost. So the other thing, uh, when you go into the negotiations, be, 
be precise and be short. Our attention spans nowadays are very short. Yeah. We all multitask. We are all very busy. So if you have a story, that's great. But, you know, don't go on for 10 minutes explaining what your story is or how you got there. Um, by no means, don't just be super direct and, you know, right. kind of a, a robot. Right. Uh, but be, be mindful of that. And then the other thing we work with uh, people is like, no. Right? When people say, no, I can't do that. First, listen for the words, I can't do that. What does that mean? Like if they say, no, I cannot do that. A lot of people just, A, we're either afraid of rejection or B, we just want this conversation to be over with, especially if it's been going on for a couple of weeks. It's very draining. But what does no mean? Very rarely no means just that, right? If it's a retaliation, if, you know, if a person is a jerk, which happens, sometimes bosses are that. Hopefully, if you're in a toxic environment, you're not going and asking for a raise or a promotion. Hopefully, you're trying to figure out how to get out of the, of the toxic relationship. But if somebody says, I can't do that right now, stay curious. What, what, what do you mean by that? What is holding you back? Again, questions that will get you some insight. Is it because I don't have money in my budget? because it's the middle of the year? Mm -hmm. Or is it because I don't think you are ready for the next level if you're trying to negotiate for a promotion? And if you don't, if it's because of that, don't you want to know why? Like, what is it that I have to do to get to the next level? What do you want to see from me? How do we make sure that you see it? Can, you know, um, so no, very rarely just, it's your negotiation shouldn't stop at that. Mm -hmm. So be prepared for a no. And most of the time, if it is a no, you're gonna, you should be walking out with quite a few insights into how you're going to make it happen. And then again, set expectation of if it's, if it's not in the budget, when can we talk so you count your account for it for the next cycle? What can we do in the meantime if, if, if there is anything that can be done? If it's because you're not ready for a promotion, what do I need to do? Is it the visibility? Can you help? How can you help me so I'm visible to the executive team? Or is it you haven't led a project? How can you help me so I am leading a project? So you see that I'm capable and, you know, so, and then you, you get their buy-in. So be prepared for a no and don't stop. If you hear a no, don't just think that it's over. Um, stay curious. So now what is the appropriate follow-up time if you get a no? Well, it depends on what, what that no is, right? If you're, if you're asking for a promotion and they say you're missing a critical skill, right? Um, if you don't, if you don't, if you truly, if you're truly missing that skill and there's nothing that you can align with your boss, if you need to lead a project and you've never led a project, that could be six months from now right? When you, start, when you start being on a project and then leading, don't wait until you execute. People can tell whether you're a good leader once they see you doing it. Um, you know, if it's a budget, if your budget reset is in September, you know, a, most people start budget, um, or let's say like your, your fiscal year starts in January, 
most people start budgeting in September, October timeframe. So make sure you touch base that you're still on the same page. Um, you know, so it really depends on the circumstances of a no. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, the other question I had for you was in terms of the accomplishments, right? In that memo, you give them a heads up of, you know, this is what I want to talk about, right? When you're going through the list of things that you've accomplished in your job, how do you either narrow it down to the most impactful ones? Or do you, I mean, do you look at data? Do you look at, um, like the, it's hard. So this is a hard conversation for me to have because being in the world of education, unfortunately, in terms of, you know, negotiating for like salary, it's usually set in stone by the government or the state or whoever. Right. Yeah. So this is really, I'm, I'm very curious about this um, yeah. just because this is not, this is not a conversation I've had. Right. So when right. we look at accomplishments, when women are looking at things they want to bring to the table, what are some of the best strategies, the best ways to look inward to bring that up? Yeah. So first of all, you know, it's a really good question. We, we get that question of if I'm in the government, you know, there's a certain band. Keep yeah. in mind, first of all, there's a band, right? That's a range. So, and it, you know, you point out that you're in teaching profession. If you look at the U.S. Statistic, um, US statistics of labor, you will see that males or male teachers still get paid more than female teachers. So even though it's Curious. dictated, it's even though it's dictated, you still see that discrepancy. If you look at nurses that are primarily females, if you look at that statistics, you will see that male nurses still get paid more. So even though there's a, a band, keep in mind that's a range, right? There are very, very few, um, jobs that don't have a band and then also there are different bands so you can be at level 10 for example right who's to say you can't ask to be put in a different band why can you not be put at, at level um, 11 or i know microsoft i think or amazon one of them they have like bands from like 59 to 62 there's three bands that you for the same position essentially wow that you can jump, that they have flexibility to move. So if the answer is you're in this band, what does it take to get, like, what, what, does, what do I need to do or what does it take to get into the next band? Okay. Have them answer that question. Yeah. But also as far as, like, you know, the question on the data and number, data, num my favorite saying is numbers don't lie. So, and women actually do the best when the performance is based on the objective data rather than subjective data. So anytime our evaluations have subjective values or things that are subjective, women tend to do worse. So data is really important. So take a look at how you're in your profession, like what, what matters? Is it, um, you know, and, and that's something that you know, I'm not well-versed across all professions, but what is important to you? Is it how many students you teach or is it the results in the test or students' achievements? Like what are some of the numbers and the data that is relevant within your profession that you, you bring, 
So it right. would be the data from the test um, and it would be the achievement maybe overall in class. So we would look at the test scores um, because every grade typically has one type of test or another. So it would be that test, or, test score and then it would be maybe that final grade in the class. Yeah. So that's going to be your hard numbers, right? That you're going to look that everybody's probably measured on. Mm -hmm. If you have any other numbers, like if you are teaching classes that have more students or more students enrolling your class as an elective, right? I mean, that's, that's data. Mm -hmm. you know, kids are picking your class because most likely they've heard really good things about you or, or the curriculum that you're following. So then the soft skills part is your relationship. It could be that, you, you know, students want you as a teacher, you have really good feedback, you have really good rapport, um, relationship, you know, you're, you're in high school, but like, I know my kids are in elementary school, relationship with parents, mm -hmm. right? Like those are soft skills that maybe don't get measured, but I'm sure some teachers have different rapport with parents, right? And kids. So think about soft skills that... Um, you can utilize okay that make you stand out yeah yeah those are those are great suggestions and great points so thank you for bringing those up absolutely okay so, so that's, that's kind of like in a, in a brief nutshell yeah. the preparation and the execution of the of the of the ask yeah. I feel like you and I were both like trying to like absorb everything that has, you know, and then, how, you know, how do we move forward? Right. So there's yeah. so much, so much goodness in this episode and in the wisdom and the knowledge that you've brought forth. Like I continue to learn just so much from you. And I, I'm like so impressed by the work that you've done and then the statistics that you just like have ready to throw out. It's so awesome. Yeah. Right. We love some good data. Um, I think, you know, statistics, I look at numbers, numbers make things, stories are important, but numbers are just so impactful because when you see the discrepancy, you're just like, oh, I actually had, a, I had an interview, uh, Instagram live today for a promo for somebody we we're partnering with. And it was interesting because there we we're talking about the in, um, inequalities and, you know, one of the things I was pondering the other day, when we say that women are underpaid, we talk about cents and dollars, right? We say that um, African-American is, is a sad example, but African-American women are paid 62 cents to a dollar that white men um, earn. Jesus Christ. But, yeah. But when you think about 62 cents to a dollar, those are small figures, right? You understand percentages and you understand it's a huge discrepancy, but you don't, it's hard to picture what that impact is on somebody's life. Right. So there was actually in 2000, um, according to 2018 data, uh, black women made 62 cents in a dollar and it hasn't changed much in 2020. But if you take a 40-year career for somebody with that discrepancy over 40 years, because all your increases are based on your initial, you know, if you take 40-year earnings, your earning gap is at $941,000. I'm going to go throw up. Right? And it, when you think of, that is your financial health, the amount of money that... You, 
African-American women are underpaid over 40 years because there's, um, you know, you have this exponential effect of um, compounded interest on, on top of things. $941,000. That I'm is, like, that's a lifestyle change. I'm, I can't, I don't even have the words to like, and I wish you guys could see my face because I, I like, I've got nothing right now. That's horrific. That's horrible. Right. And um, actually Hispanics and um, Hispanic women are even worse off. So it's when you think of, of your, of what it means for your life, for your financial stability, for your financial health, the impact is huge. So that's why I like data. I like statistics. I think stories are really important. It brings, you know, human aspects to stories. But if you don't have data, a lot of, I think it's really important to combine data with stories because you have to have facts. um, So it's not all just subjective. Here's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a a, just a gift to have you on this podcast, not once, but now twice. And to Mm -hmm. learn all the ins and outs of something that is just so critically important to our financial health, which translates into our lifestyle, our physical health, right? Like there's mental health, our mental health, so many things that this goes into. And it's incredibly important that we have these conversations and continue to have these conversations. And I hope you guys as listeners really heard and absorbed. I know there's so much information that we got from this and, you know, you should see my notes. I hope you have notes and there's so much to be learned and I'm sure we really just scratched the surface on this. And so I hope you guys will really seek out Ruzana if you have any additional questions, or if you're interested in working with her one-on-one, I mean, this, this stuff is, this work is important and I, I can't really get around that enough. So thank you for what you do and the way that you're changing the lives of, of women in finance everywhere. Thank you. So, I enjoy it. Good, good. Yes. And you should. You can <laughs> Hopefully you can it, sense so. me geeking out on this. I hope it's not overwhelming. <laughs> no, it's important. It's, it's critically important. And there's, there's so much that goes into this. And I just, I I really appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And, you know, I hope that we can have you back on for a third time to to continue this kind of conversation. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for spending time with me and seeing the potential. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you guys. Everything that she has talked about, like absorb it, understand it, ask more questions. Like keep, keep asking, keep being curious. And I'm going to leave all of her contact info um, down in the show notes. It's in the other episodes show notes as well. So there's no excuse not to keep following up on this kind of discussion, but thank you again. Such an honor to have you on this episode. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.